The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. If you look in the pictorial Hebrew to the definition of revival, this is what you're going to find. Now in the Greek, revival means to reveal the great revelation. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. It is about a revival to reveal. In the Hebrew, it is a little bit different. And if you remember that the symbol for Tav is the cross. The definition of revival has to be put together with each one of those pictorial pictures, and here's what we get. Listeners, listen very carefully. To behold the sign of the cross from the inner room through revelation. Now in the Old Testament, or in the Hebrew, that inner room is the Holy of Holies. Without question. There were three primary rooms in the temple. Let's start from the inside. You have the inner room, which is the Holy of Holies. What's the room right outside the Holy of Holies? It's the room where the high priest does all of his sacrifices and his activities to clean his own life up so that he can literally bring the sins of the people before the Father. Entering into the inner room, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, and then you have the Holy Room, and then you have this outer court. It's the same triune that we speak of with the exchange life of body, soul, and spirit. The body is like the outer courtyard. And then you have the soul, which is really where a lot of the stuff takes place, which is where your mind, will, and emotions is located. And then you have your spirit. Now, where does Christ come when you become born again? When you become a Christian? Into your spirit. Because it's the highest, the holy room, the inner room. The cross did not exist when the Torah was was written. Yes, it did. To have the symbol of the cross clear back in the original pictorial Hebrew is no surprise to God. Because it is his penned language. But several thousand years later, Jesus comes and he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He gives his life, sacrifices his life for our sins so that we could behold the great revelation which John 
wrote and is the last book in the New Testament, which covers everything about the Alpha and the Omega. It was all planned from the very beginning. Revival is to behold the sign of the cross from the inner room through the revelation. To reveal Christ inside of a believer. That's revival. Listeners, listen carefully. Revival must start with the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. If you're not indwelt by Jesus Christ and you're a Christ follower, you can't be a part of this revival. Most revivals in the past were for the unsaved. That is not what this revival is going to be about. This revival is not for the unsaved. Even though there's going to be thousands of people that are going to get saved. This revival that we leaders are praying for is for an awakening inside the indwelt believers. To get off our chairs and begin to reach out, to move forward, to release the spirit within us. Then evangelism and all the other things will probably take place. I even heard this week from a particular leader, this is probably the first kind of revival of its kind in the world, where it's for indwelt believers. It's for people who claim to have a born-again experience, who are lazy, and they're laying around, they're not doing anything to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ at 602-292-2982. We have so many lazy, indwelt, true, born-again Christians in the world who are just simply so focused on making money, going to work, being about their jobs, taking care of their own, and they are not completing what they were put here to do. I mean, what's the point, folks? What's the point in living? You spend 70 years, maybe 80 years, of doing anything from farming to, to being a businessman or being whatever, and then you die. And you can't take a blasted thing with you. None of it. What's the point? So you can get on the other side and come to that conclusion? My life was pointless? You see, unless what you say, unless what you do is advancing the kingdom of God, you have a fruitless life. It's worthless. So to have the greatest gift of all living inside your inner room, your spirit, the life of Jesus Christ living inside you, the greatest gift of all. And what are we doing with it? There's a great awakening coming, but it's not for the unsaved. In fact, I'm here to tell you, and there are many preachers around the world that would say the exact same thing. 
I've heard it with my own ears. There are unbelievers more motivated to do what they do than Christians. We are far more lazy than unsaved people. There are religions out there that are aggressive, moving forward. They have plans. They work together. They strategize. And they use stuff like social networks and television and radio and whatever to advance their cause. You hear more about the causes of unsaved people than you do about indwelt believers. There's something wrong here. We should be so loud that people want to kill us. <coughs> but we're not. We're afraid. And we hide. Behind our cowardness. I am praying for a great awakening for indwell believers. You unsaved people at 602-292-2982, you're doing fine. You're more successful than we are. It's the true indwell believers that are being called the hypocrites. It's the true Christians, the true born-again types that are being referred to as the great hypocrites of the world. And I'm afraid they're right. It's time for a wake-up call. It's time for a revival. It's time to realize who the great reveal is. That's what it's time for. So the cry for this epic revival Listeners, we need to be revived in Christ Jesus through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Churches are known for their meetings, revival meetings. Remember those days when they had revival tents set up in communities and they'd bring in some loud preacher like me and he would just shout and shake the foundation of the earth underneath them, and they were like afraid not to get saved? You see, you got to ask yourself, why is it that those days worked? What's different? If we went and put up a tent out there and had a revival service, we would be arrested, or at least given a ticket, for disturbing the peace or something. What's happened to us? Something has changed in our society that we can no longer have revivals. So few leaders, quite a few, thought this through. Maybe the revival needs to start with the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Not in a tent, but in the heart of man. We need something that we cannot produce in our own self-effort. We need the type of revival that it is supernatural, and you know that it's supernatural. It comes only by the sovereign decree of the Lord in and through the indwelt believer. We need an epic revival. One that starts a fire from within, not a fire from without. 
While we cannot produce a revival, we can set the stage for what could be the Lord's final revival. This may be the time to separate the fake Christians from the real indwelt ones. You see, the day of the lost is lost. People who don't have a born-again experience typically are not provoked. They're not aroused. They're not brought to conviction like we saw in the years in the past. You'll see it once in a while, but not by the numbers we used to see. Because the way the unsaved people see this is blah, 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 blah. The Spirit, I believe, is turning toward the true believers. Something has to happen with us first, or we're going to have more blah, blah, blah. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, Or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. The most famous passage used for revivals worldwide. And here's the news. It ain't working. It is not working. There is more condemnation. There is more pain and agony. There's more persecution. There's more people getting shot and destroyed and hurt than ever before. What's happened? Well, we're going to extract several elements from this passage in the starting of our final revival to help you see why. And I'm not sure you're going to be happy with me because I'm not starting with the unsaved people. It's got to start somewhere else. We are on number 128. We've been doing a whole series on true grace and a part of that true grace Series, we've been doing a going epic series, and this is the part of going epic where we're going to talk about true revival and what is it. If those of you are following according to the epic number, this is epic 19 under the category of identity for eternity. Let's take a look at some. This is The same passage taken through the New Covenant, which means bringing it up to date of inner room, most holy room, your spirit, bringing it all into the New Testament. This is a paraphrase, keep in mind, of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If I shut up the heavens so that there are no blessings raining down from heaven, Or if I command the enemy to devour your nations. Listener, he's doing that. He is releasing a devouring of nations. 
Muslims all over the world. You see, this passage has gone prophetic. All of God's words are prophetic. But there are certain ones that we appoint as being prophetic passages. But I'm here to tell you that the scripture that we just read right out of the Old Testament has already taken place. He has released a devouring of nations. And America is not exempt from this. I can assure you. Or if I send hardship among my people. Have you noticed an increase of hardship in Christian lives? Oh my goodness. I mean, as a counselor, I hear horrid stuff almost every day. Of people who claim to have the life of Christ inside them wanting to kill themselves. Or they accuse their spouses of things, or their brother, or their sister, or their pastors, or their teachers. And it's just endless of the accusations. Well, I got some news for you. Satan is labeled by the living God as the accuser of the brethren. If you accuse your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, if you are accusing anyone, you are joining his plan of being an accuser of the brethren. That too shall be released, and it already has been. Christians are under severe hardship by their own neighbors, by their own wives, by their own husbands, by their own children. There's going to come a day when children are going to rise up and, and kill their parents. It's here. The murdering of parents has increased 400% since 1950. It's here. These are prophetic warnings that God has given us. And we need to listen carefully. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and my son will hear your cry from within. You see, humble means in the Hebrew a little less than human. That's the definition. He's wanting us to be a little less than human. That's called slavery. You see, to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ is being humble. It's being a little less than human. I'm a bond slave to Jesus. I'm not his equal. I don't treat him like my friend. He's my husband. I am less than in that position. This is what's being asked of us. To be a little less than human. Whatever person is standing in front of you, find out about how big they think they are. And then be less than them. Now we live in a world that demands equal rights. You can't push me. You can't push me down. You can't whatever. The world's doing opposite of this when we're required 
to be servants unto all, less than human. Just like Jesus was. He emptied himself out as being a Godhead and became like man. And then he even said, that's not good enough. I have to humble myself before man and serve man. He had to be the slave. And we walk around and run around and write books and do all kinds of things to say we're greater than Jesus. We have more rights than Jesus. I'm not going to kowtow to any human. I'm not lesser than any human. Good luck. Because that's annoying to the Lord. And out of the seven things that God hates, four of them are about pride. Pride is one of the 13 names of Satan. It is rising above Christ. And he who does that is he who will be humbled by force. It's the way it works. Have you ever looked at someone and said, you know, that kid really needs humbled? He needs some humbling. That's what we're communicating. So, he will demonstrate his forgiveness in and through us to all people. Everything that Jesus does is, identity-wise, is what becomes our mission. Our mission to forgive others, our mission to love others, our mission to care for others, our mission to take care of them, our mission to feed them, our mission to clothe them. It's our mission, because it's his mission. He's not interested in restoring this decaying world. Don't vacuum your car for a week. And you'll see what natural destructions are in place already that are in the world. Don't wash the streets. Don't paint buildings. Don't worry. This town could be a ghost town in 10 years if you just leave it alone. Well, what would happen if God decided to leave the people alone? Dust. That's what that passage is telling us. God decides what's coming. Here's our scripture. Second, Second Chronicles 7, 10 through 18. says, Then on the 23rd day of the seventh month, that's the Hebrew month, he sent the people to their tents, rejoicing, happy of heart, because of the goodness that the Lord had shown David and Solomon and to his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, which was the great temple, remember? The greatest, really, accomplishment for mankind. It was, it was absolutely perfect. It's gorgeous. Everything was gold-plated. Everything was made well. Everything was done well. This was a pretty special time that God is speaking. If you want to know something very interesting, 
that most Masons know, if you're over a 20-degree Mason, and it's in the Scriptures, most people don't catch it, Solomon made a huge mistake. He hired the Masons from Tyre. You know who the king of Tyre was, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel? Satan. It's right out of the Bible. And here, this is where this modern Mason movement claims is their starting place, is that they were called to build the Temple of Solomon. And they did. That's why that their whole mission is to rebuild at the last temple. You see, God was upset. He was warning his people. But he was glad that his temple was completed. Because he asked it to be done, and it was completed in Solomon's glory. Hmm. Got a problem here. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there per, uh, perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted, tripping up on this, covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. Now I want to break this down. Taking what we just read, bringing it into the New Testament, New Covenant concepts and truths, here's what we get. Then on the day of their salvation, the day his bride realized that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, when that temple got destroyed, it was in God's timeline. It needed to be destroyed because it was built by man. Even by a certain amount of using evil to accomplish God's order. The place was not built by the Hebrew people. Bummer. So God had this temple destroyed. Strictly for the purpose, he was going to transfer his temple to the human. And anyone who becomes born again in the world by the life of Jesus Christ becomes that temple. So all you indwelt believers that are listening today, you are the temple for the presence of God for the great reveal. 
Revival must start with you. The temple has been set. It is ready for the great reveal, for revelations to unfold. He sent the people to their places of worship, rejoicing and happy of heart because of the goodness that the Lord has shown to his leaders and to his people Israel. We are called Israel now, are we not? Thus Jesus finished the temple of the Holy Spirit in the King of Kings place and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the temple of the Holy Spirit and in his, his palace. See, the, the reality is that we are his home. We are his place, his palace, his temple, his dwelling place. We are that. So if you're a Jesus follower or a Christ follower, you don't apply. None of this applies to you. You have to be converted to this temple. To be a temple for the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, to come inside you. That's why in our, our advertisement banner for Revival Now, I have a light bulb inside of a light bulb. That's the exchange life. It's his light that ignites our human light that shines out to the entire world. If you're not indwelt and you're a Jesus follower, a pew setter, someone who just believes in the great doctrines and principles of Jesus, you're going to hell. Unless 602-292-2982, unless you reach out to someone and say, how can I have the life of Christ in me? And there's millions of Christians that can show you how. Reach out now and talk to someone. Because this is where the great revival must take place. Then the Father appeared to Christ at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as the temple of sacrifice. What's it say in Corinthians about your body as a living sacrifice? Everything you could possibly read about the temple of God in the Old Testament is sitting in that chair. If you've made the great exchange. If not, you're a pew sitter. You're a temple maker. God had to tear Solomon's down for a good reason. But he used it, didn't he? He used the first one. He used the second one. He's going to use the third one radically. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. That's inside you. For now I have chosen and consecrated this temple that my name may be there forever. 
And my eyes and my heart will be there forever. Christ is not going to get upset at you because of your sin and leave you and forsake you. When he comes into this temple after the day you got saved, he cannot be put in the mail and returned because of your nasty sin and my nasty sin. That's not how it works. You see, this temple too is going to end up in a casket. And they're going to tighten the screws down and put me into the dirt. Then I'm going to be given a brand new body when I get to the other side. And it will seal the covenant of old and new as one forever. So this temple must die too. And that's why this true temple that's being referred to by Paul and others is the Spirit. Once, Ephesians 1.13 tells us, once hearing the gospel of your salvation and receiving him, does anyone know the rest of it? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. I'd like to find some man or demon or Satan himself try to break the seal of God. I'd like to see it. Because I'll never get to see it. It will not happen. What God seals, man cannot break. Man can make a seal like a seal on a can of peas. Man can invent something else to break the seal. Right? Of course. But when God puts a seal on something, no one's going to break it. So he will never leave you or forsake you. Ever. As for the bride of Christ, that's you and I. If you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish my royal throne, saying, You shall not lack victory through Christ, the ruler of Israel. You are his vessel of victory. Now, here's the enemies of revival. The Chronicler speaks of the possibility and the problems associated with revivals. While telling what we can have, he also tells us about what uh, can prevent this revival from taking place from within. We need to point out the enemies of revival in order to truly understand the great revelation. And the primary reason why indwell believers are so lazy and they're not getting this whole revival thing from within is be, and they do not, what's the number one book in the Bible that people don't read? The book of Revelation. Well, I know that might not be odd to some of our listeners, but it's extremely odd to me. That's the goal. You see, the inner room is to reveal the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he does, what he's in control of, what he's going to do in the end, what he did in the beginning. It's the great reveal. 
And so people today who claim to be Christians, they don't want to read the book of Revelation. They're afraid to read the book of Revelation, to read about dragons and and beasts and all this stuff that seems to be so difficult to understand. And it's easy if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I have no problem understanding the book of Revelation. Doing stories about it, writing books about it, textbooks about it, all the stuff that the Lord has asked me to do. This is, it's easy. Because of the Holy Spirit who brings understanding to these things. Not me. I want the great reveal. I'm looking forward to the second coming. I'm looking forward to going home. I'm looking forward to seeing the enemy get his Buddhist kicked. I'm looking forward to that. There are four problems mentioned in this verse that we can prevent revival from taking place. We need to listen closely to what the Bible has to say about this matter and do whatever we need to do to see that these enemies of revival do not hinder us from hearing the Lord from within. We have the ability in Christ Jesus to resist them. They do not have to master us. Let's look at these. Step one, humbling yourself. So that quote, will humble themselves, this phrase deals with an area of our pride, man's pride. Pride is, yes, it's one of the 13 names of Satan. If you are one of those parents or school teachers or anyone else that says, I'm proud of you. All I'm asking you to do for one week, I have never had this not work. I've never suggested this to someone that it did not produce victory. So what I ask them to do, instead of saying I'm proud of you, just simply put the Hebrew name in there. I Satan you. Just for a week. So if you're used to saying to your children and grandchildren and others, I'm proud of you. Just say Satan. I Satan you. That'll wake you up so fast it's ridiculous. Why is it four of the seven things that God hates? I call that duh. But what do we do? No, we, we get people to lift their heads up and be proud. Really? What, so you can be a part of the seven things God hates? This is a revival destroyer. The word translated pride in the Old Testament means to rise or to swell up. It's like a serpent. It's rising up and swelling up and getting ready to strike. That's pride. That's how Hebrew describes pride. The aroused snake. It refers to the rising of the waves of the sea. It speaks to men thinking more of themselves and their abilities than they do of Christ's abilities in them. We are eaten up by pride in our modern churches. We have adopted the Laodicean lukewarm mentality. Revelation 3.17 We have learned how to function without the help 
of the indwelling Jesus, and it has destroyed the inward release of the power of the Holy Spirit. We do sin of comparison, the most common sin to mankind. Comparing yourself to somebody else. I don't look as nice, I don't walk as nice, I don't talk as nice, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. We adjust our human behavior by who we're looking at. It's what makes the world turn. It's what makes marketing work. They want you to look at something and say, I want to look like that. I want to be like that. It's the sin of comparison. So when an indwelled Christian compares themselves to the world, they are comparing themselves to Satan. Well, of course they're going to be proud. And if you think Satan looks like a deviled, pitchforked, red-skinned creature, then you're not reading your Bible. He's beautiful. He's attractive. In fact, I believe the way the Bible described him is perfect in knowledge, perfect in wisdom, perfect in every way. The Antichrist is going to be gorgeous in every way. Even spiritually, he's going to be appealing to people. And that's what the world's comparing themselves to. It's why we have so many religions. The sin of comparison. But when we lay the modern indwelt Christian alongside the early church, I don't know if you've read much out of the book of Acts about the early church, but they were, they were pretty powerful people. There were recorded stories of miracles that I know that the book of Acts didn't record them all. These early Christians just simply became the revival. They didn't want revivals. They didn't push for revivals. They didn't put revival campaigns together. They were the revival. People looked at them and said, Wow, what do you got that I don't have? That's a good comparison. Acts 2:42 and 47 it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostle teaching and fellowship. People aren't dedicating themselves to apostles teachings today. We go listen to a sermon, we shake the pastor's hand and say, "Thank you pastor, that was a great sermon." That's it. Maybe they'll take a few notes, stick it in their notebook and put it on their bookshelf. Just in case you have to go back and review it to remember what the good message was. Every message that is preached that comes from the heart of God, you'll never forget. Notes or not, you will never forget. Because it's the truth that is already inside you, and it's bearing witness with that truth, and it gets released in daily behavior. These people knew that. They broke bread together and prayed together. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their stuff, sell their houses to take care of the church. It, the, it just went on and on. 
We just don't see that anymore. I'm sorry, Lord. Your church is sick. We can't even raise enough money to take care of someone who is in need of getting their power back on. That's a tough task for us. You know what I mean? This was normal for them. They were in touch with every, everything that was going on around them to care for one another. They didn't spend time arguing and fussing over things that should not be <coughs> fussed over. So the early church did not pray, plan, act upon revival. They were the great revival because of the Holy Spirit within them. They were an amazing people to watch. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Pride destroys the reveal of Jesus. Now, listener, some of you may be ready for salvation. If you have no one else to go and talk to and you're hearing this podcast, why not just give me a call or text me at 602-292-2982. I don't care if you've got a gun to your head. You're about ready to kill yourself. You're about ready to kill your neighbor. Maybe you've got a gun to your wife's head. You're desperate. You don't know where to go, who to turn to, but you're listening to this message. First of all, there's more messages coming of hope for you. But call that number or text that number, 602-292-2982, and get some help. Or find a local pastor who actually believes in the indwelling life of Jesus versus following Jesus. Christians follow Jesus. Indwelt Christians have him. And get your answers that you need to your questions. But I am more than willing to lead you to Christ to show you how that's done. Because if this revival, if this final revival is about awakening the indwelt believers and you're not one, that might be a good place to start. So you can be a part of this campaign. See, this campaign is real simple. If you go to our website at www.iomamerica.org and just click on that ad, that banner, it'll take you to a strategic page explaining what we mean by this great revival. And all it is requiring, listen carefully, is for you to forward this mass dumping of media we're going to do over the next two years. Worship videos. Getting music out that is getting the message of identity in Christ. Pastors' messages getting out. Articles, books, whatever. And all you have to do is click forward. You sign up for the emails, we'll do the rest. We'll send you powerful media. And all you have to do is forward it to your people all over the world. And if we start with a million, I can guarantee you, in a half a year, we're going to be making a significant impact on teaching people the difference between being Christian, a Jesus follower, and being an indwell Christian. You have him. 
inside you, the inner room, for the great reveal. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.